Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Um, all right. Uh, I wonder if uh, you might just join with me just in a quick word of prayer this morning as we get ready to dig into the Word of God together, if you would. Lord in heaven, we are are grateful for uh, the opportunity that you've given us today to spend this time together. And we pray that you would just be uh, speaking to our hearts through your word. We, we just love how you do that. Lord, we, we love your word. We're so thankful for it. It's, it's one of, it's one of the, those things that you've given to us, perhaps uh, more than anything that tells us that you love us. Uh, because it's in your word that we, we hear about Jesus, your son, who gave uh, everything he had and gave his, his life and, and um, suffered and died for us so that we could spend uh, an eternity from uh, today forward, each and every day, knowing you, loving you, serving you, uh, being a part of your kingdom. We just thank you. Um, for this, and we pray today as we look to your word and and see there what you have for us today, that you would just uh, be our teacher. We thank you that you are the master teacher, Lord Jesus, and we worship you today as our King, as our Savior, and and as the the Lord uh, and Director of our lives. We just commit this time to you and commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Yeah, so we're into some of the countercultural teachings of Jesus, and we're in Luke chapter 12, because uh, in Luke uh, chapter 12, Jesus uses uh, a teachable moment to sound the, uh, the alarm, calling us to um, watch out for something that he calls covetousness, and uh, that's a countercultural teaching, because in our day, so much of our, of our living is... Um, influenced by um, uh, consumerism and the advertising industry per is so pervasive in all of our lives, telling us what we didn't realize we needed <laughs> until we uh, hear what we needed as we're informed by popular culture. And it's just, uh, it's incredible, really. Um, uh, so this is this is big stuff we're talking about uh, today and thinking about today. And uh, we should expect the Messiah, to be a prophet, a teacher. You may remember the woman at the well a few weeks back. She said this to, to Jesus before she understood who he was. She said, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus is the master teacher. But here's something about the teachings of Jesus. Some of the teachings of Jesus come to us from uh, more formal teaching times, like uh, the times in the synagogues, and a few weeks back, we were in the Sermon on the Mount. But a great many of Jesus' teachings are more what we would uh, call sometimes teachable moments. Teachable moments are really powerful because they connect truth directly to our lives. Now, so often our attempts uh, at education, whether we're thinking of educating ourselves or, or educating our, our, our children or one another or whatever, um, uh, our learning doesn't always seem to be as practical or as relevant 
as we sometimes uh, would like it uh, to be and or think it should be. And it's like when you were a kid in school, if you can uh, remember that far back for some of you, but uh, you're sitting in math class and, and you're thinking, when am I ever going to use this? Right? You, you remember what that's like. Or maybe it was history. I don't, they don't teach history in school much anymore, which is something I have to uh, resist the temptation to rant about that because it's such a tragedy. But, but can you remember sitting and, and you're, maybe you're learning about something that happened or something someone did uh, a long, 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 long time ago and you're sitting there thinking, you know, how could this possibly be relevant to me? But the power of a teachable moment is the power to connect a specific life situation to a timeless truth or a specific time in our lives to a timeless truth. You could say the teachable moments are those times when something we considered uh, irrelevant suddenly becomes a priority. Uh, maybe it's a personal time of crisis. You know, it, something doesn't have to be big to be a crisis. All it has to be is consequential, something that we feel is, has consequence uh, for our lives. Uh, the Chinese word for crisis is made up of two characters. One character means danger, and the other character means opportunity. And that's uh, helpful for us to reflect on that. Regardless, the power of a teachable moment is the power to connect a specific lifetime situation uh, with timeless truth. Um, we struggle sometimes with the relevance of truth. Um, but a lot of the times it's because we don't see how something affects us personally. Uh, at least we think it don't affect us personally, or maybe it doesn't affect us here and now, because we tend to be both self-centered and uh, short-sighted. Um, so both of these things are problematic. But when the truth comes home, as they say, when the truth comes home, uh, that changes everything. And the result is what we call uh, a teachable moment. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I just heard of someone just recently who died without a will. Older man with a family. Uh, leaving his family to uh, endure unbearable turmoil. Now everyone thinks that it won't be an issue in their family. Because we all get along, right? And so any advice to the contrary we judge to be irrelevant because it doesn't affect us, or at least we think it, it doesn't, or maybe we think it won't. Then suddenly it does. Surprise, surprise. And suddenly everyone else needs to drop their schedule and make our personal conundrum their priority. Our sinful natures make us rather pathetic. I think the biblical narrative here in Luke 12 catches this guy right at a critical moment in his life. And I think we all have critical moments. And maybe this morning could even be a critical moment for us. Notice in the passage, he doesn't ask a question he doesn't even make a request. What is it that he does? Well, if you 
think back to your school days again and your English class, and you recall the parts of speech and whatnot, you would call this a command. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The lesson here is not an English class lesson, no. It's a lesson in human nature. Because we tend to expect a lot of others. We really do tend to expect a lot of each other a lot of the time. And it's amazing how, on the one hand, how self-centered I can be. While at the same time expecting everybody else to center their lives on me. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a lot of irony in that. And I think that this truth is probably indicated in Jesus' initial response to the man because Jesus' initial response to the man in verse 14 is, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? I always, I always uh, you know, found myself curious over that, that response because, of course, Jesus is our judge and he is the arbitrator. But, but I think in saying that, Jesus was basically pointing out to this man, you know, you come to me with a demand like that, you know, it really, it really is indicative. It's indicative of, of what we uh, tend to be like as, as human beings. And uh, I wonder if we might recognize ourselves in this man. You know, we tend to resist having people meddle in our lives. But we're pretty quick to expect people to clear their schedules when we perceive that we're in a time of personal crisis, even if that crisis is one of our own making. But more than that, I wonder if we might identify with the, with the fact that this man is coming to, to Jesus with a problem that he is having, and that problem is, has to do with, with money. And I wonder how many of us have problems when it comes to money, to finances. Maybe it's how we get it. Maybe it's how we feel about it. Maybe it's what we do with it. But whatever the situation, because all three of those things are really, really important. But whatever the situation is, this man's demand upon Jesus to fix the situation becomes a teachable moment for him and the disciples and perhaps for you and I today as well. Verse 15, as we carry on, Jesus then issues this warning. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So there's the warning. And it comes with a, a timeless truth. A man's life or one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then Jesus tells a story, as he so often did. And I want for us to read the story again together. It's in verse 16 through verse 20. It says, and he told them a parable, saying that the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? I don't think it's overly hard to 
picture this guy in our minds. He's done well. He, he's also gotten some breaks because in order for crops to do well, there needs to be good weather. And, and you know what? It, it really is important to stop here a moment and, and acknowledge that wealth comes from God. Success comes from God. Even you might feel like you are the, the typical self-made man. But I have news for you. I should say Jesus has news for us. In a moment, that can all change. In a moment of time, just like it does here in our story. But he's, he's, he's well off, and he's, he's, he's worked hard. Let's give him some credit. He's worked hard. He's, he's, uh, he's uh, succeeded in life, we would say, and, and he's gotten the breaks too. And now here he is sitting at his kitchen table late in the day, perhaps, he's got his paperwork in front of him. He's going over his accounts, and he's, he's pretty, feeling pretty good about it all. It's, it's late in the summer, kind of like it is right now. And the days are long and full, and because the days are long this time of year, right? And uh, he, he's got his paperwork in front of him, and it's all looking good. But he does have a problem. And his problem, as he sees it, is this. He doesn't know what he's going to do with it all. Now, I'm sure that that's probably your problem with money too, right? Or at least maybe you're saying, I wish that was my problem. My problem with money is I don't know what to do with it all. How many of us would say that? And yet... Here's the thing. That is our problem. That is our problem with money. Now, it might not be all of our, uh, the only problem we have with money, but that is a problem. Because here's the thing. If we have more than we need, then Jesus is calling us to identify with this man. I, I'm sure that any of us who do our own accounting work at, and, you know, and manage our own finances, it's, it's not hard for us to come up with a, 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 a zero balance. It's not really hard at all. All we have to do is just think about all the things we want to have and do. Because that's what this man does, you see. He say, he's got a problem, but he solves it in short order. He, he, he gives himself a little talking to, and he says, uh, okay, uh, I know what I'm going to do. This, this is really simple. This is not a complicated thing. I can, I can fix this. And he concludes rather quickly that the solution to his problem is quite simple. You know, nowhere in Scripture is wealth condemned. Now, some people are confused about that because some people think that money in itself is, is, not a, is an evil thing. Uh, but money is neither evil or good. It all depends on what we do with it, right? It's like everything else. Um, money is, and wealth is nowhere condemned in Scripture. However, warnings to the wealthy are everywhere in Scripture. And you guys say, well, that's good because those wealthy people, they really need a good talking to. But what if you define wealthy as having more than you need? 
does that not make all of us, at least in this part of the world, very wealthy? There are warnings in Scripture about how we um, acquire money, how we feel about money, and what we do with money. And I think that this, uh, this guy in this story that Jesus introduces us to, this guy who could be you or I, we're being introduced to, to him by Jesus at a, at a time that is a critical moment of time in his life. And it's a teachable moment that becomes a defining moment. Remember that Chinese word for crisis, danger, opportunity. And the story can go one of two ways depending on the choice that he makes. And he makes the wrong choice. Now, it probably should be observed that in the process of making that choice, the guy does a lot of self-talk. They say that talking to yourself is a, is a sign of, uh, of something. Um, I don't know exactly what it's a sign of, but, but whatever it is, then we're all it because all of us talk to ourselves. And that's not a bad thing. I, we're supposed to give ourselves good talking to us. That's, that's, a, that's important. But be very careful what you say to yourself. Be very careful what you tell yourself. Because this man's uh, preach, preaching to himself uh, led him to make the wrong choice. And I think if we're careful, we'll recognize the reason it was the wrong choice in the words of Jesus as he finishes his story of this rich man. He says in verse 15, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We would do well to ponder those, those words. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. We want to talk a little bit more about that. But we have this warning, beware of covetousness. We have this uh, timeless truth stated by Jesus. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then we have this story of the man who makes the wrong choice, resulting... Remember uh, a few weeks back, Sermon on the Mount, the Lordship of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, it's all, proof's all in the pudding. It all is going to show itself for what it is someday. Right choices, wrong choices. Who knows? Does Jesus know? Who's the authority of your life? And this um, concluding statement or uh, confirming uh, 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 the results made by Jesus, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We know we tend to think of coveting, um, the word covetousness, it, it occurs here. Um, we tend to think of coveting as wanting what someone else has that we don't have. But in the passage here, that's not what's happening. And I think we can take from that that coveting is certainly does include wanting what someone else has, has that we don't have, but it's, it's much more than that, isn't it? It involves an, an attitude, an attitude that we have to 
towards what we do have is also problematic for us. And the language that Jesus uses here is, is strong language. If you recall back again on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns us against calling anybody a fool. So Jesus here is using very, very strong, strong language. Why would he do that? Because of the warning. Because of the, what's at stake in all of this. The stakes couldn't be higher. You may recall, I think it was last week that Josh had us in a passage where he read these words from Jesus. What should it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So the stakes couldn't be higher. And uh, I can't help but drawing, draw a parallel between this man's heart and my own heart because I think about how self-centered I tend to be and how short-sighted I tend to be. If you, you glance back over the story again, you will see this man's self-talk. How many, notice how many times he uses the word I. <laughs> he says, I know what I will do. I will do this, and I will do that. Then I will say this, and I will say that. And it's all about him. It's all about me and mine. You know, someone has made the point that money is great to have, but when it has us, that's not so great. You know, it's okay to like money. I like money. Do you like money? I, I love, uh, a lot of guys don't like shopping, but I, I love shopping. But I, particularly what I, the kind of shopping I love is grocery shopping. I love to go to the grocery store. I love to buy all those uh, wonderful exotic fruits any time of the year. Any time of the year, I can buy ripe tomatoes. Any time of the year, I can buy pineapples. I can buy avocados. I can buy uh, fresh fish. I can, I can buy anything I want, and I can bring it all home, and I can fill up my fridge and fill up my freezer and fill up my cupboard. And I love doing that. My wife doesn't like that part of it at all. Like putting groceries away, she hates it. I just love it. It's uh, probably part of my carnal self-centeredness and storing up um, produce for the days ahead. I just like the idea of having my cupboards full. And so I, I, I really have to watch myself when, when it comes to these types uh, of issues. But, you know, it's, it's okay to like money. You know, the Bible doesn't say we should like things. Everybody likes having nice things, and, and, that, and that's okay. But, you know, one of the best commentaries uh, the, the, on Scripture is Scripture itself, right? And so I just want to just... <laughs> If you will bear with, with me this morning, I want to take you to 1 Timothy and just read a few, couple of passages, short passages there from uh, the Apostle Paul who got his information from Jesus, and that's very obvious when you read these passages. But, um, you know, he says there that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He doesn't say liking money. He says the love of money, and there is a difference. And he didn't say all evil, but he said all kinds of evil. But, but, but read with me. 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, uh, ch verses 7 to 10. It's very interesting, uh, this commentary, scriptural commentary on scripture. So think about that rich fool and listen to the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in uh, verse uh, 7 and following. He says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. You know, the old... The old people used to say, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I think that that's what Jesus is getting at here too when he talks about laying up treasures in heaven, but that's coming up in the passage. 
uh, verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The stakes are high. For the love of money, verse 10, is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. I find this really interesting because he's talking about believers here. He's talking about people who know, love, and serve Jesus. Because the warning is for us too. It's not just for those people out there in the world that are carnal and, and are, are being seduced by the consumer culture of the advertising industry. It's for you and I. And then just a bit further on, Paul says this to Timothy, and, and it's so instructive for us. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, he says, As for the rich in this present age, which would be you and I, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. See, that rich man, right? I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to look, put my feet up, and I'm going to kick it back, and I'm going to say, eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, yeah, but tomorrow you're going to die. And then who's going to be, have it all? It says, notice he says here, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, there's nothing wrong with enjoying good things. There's nothing wrong with having good things. But look at verse 18. They are to do good. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. There's so much wordplay here in all this. It's wonderful. To be generous and ready to share. Now we're really getting to the rub in all of this. We're really getting to the whole point in all of this. Look, verse 19. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. How do we store up treasures in heaven? By sharing, by being generous. It's right there in the passage. Where did Paul get all this? He got it from Jesus. And then in verse 19. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Beware of covetousness, Jesus said, because your life does not consist. Your life does not consist. Your life does not consist in what you possess. Paul says to Timothy, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, Jesus goes on in the Luke passage, to talk to his disciples, and there's wonderful teaching sections there. Uh, chapter 12, verses 32 to 34, and uh, I try not to take too long with this, but it's really, really important because this is where Jesus explains, this is where he explains how we can be rich towards God, how we can lay up treasures in heaven, uh, and, and what the significance of money is in the life of a Christian. He explains it here. He says, verse 32 of Luke 12, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. But where your for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is doing at least two things here. Firstly, he's telling us how to lay up treasure in heaven that makes us rich towards God, and that's by giving. 
And secondly, he's telling us that money is a great indicator. It, he's telling us how we can know where our hearts are, are truly at. It's what we do with the more. What we do with the more. That's where we have to be so careful. That's where the temptation comes in. What do you do when you have more than you need? Be careful with that. I need to be careful with that. You know, anytime that pastors talk about money, anytime that people hear talk about money in a church context, there's always, always those people <laughs> who would say, ah, see, I told you, it's all about money. They want your money. The church wants your money. <laughs> and to be honest, that's why we, you know, that, that's why I, I, I shrink back sometimes from talking about money when I'm speaking, when I'm sharing, when I'm teaching. Because I don't want people to judge my motives that way. And I know, I know that some of the reasons for that, the popular perception of that is because of the abuses that have taken place, oftentimes in the name of, of Jesus. And, and uh, those things receive a lot of media attention. And uh, so, so I, you know, I'm a little, re I'm reluctant personally, you know, to go there. But then I just think, you know, I think of how Jesus counsels us to, to, to share the whole counsel of God. And how he talked about money all the time. More than he talked about heaven and hell. There's got to be a warning in that. And he did it without apology. And he used strong language. And so I want to say to you this morning, if you have an issue with money, if you have an issue talking about money or, or hearing about money or thinking about money or how you spend your money or how you feel about your money or how you get your money, then your issue is not money. It's an indicator of where your heart's at and what's really going on in your heart. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let's just try to pull some from the context of this, these scriptures and then we'll, we'll finish with, with, some of the, with some of the context and make a couple of applications. The context is important because as I said, Jesus goes on after he you know, is confronted by this man and, and tells the story and, 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 and gives the, the teaching, the principle. He goes on to talk to his disciples and he... Um, he um, Tells, uh, talks to them about entrusting God to care, uh, how we should entrust God to care for us and provide for us, and, uh, and uh, how we need to plan ahead, which is ironic, but plan ahead in light of eternity, in the light of eternity, uh, where our rewards will be with the Lord as we put our hope in Him. But I want to look at the preceding context, and we'll finish up with this. The preceding context. The 12 verses that occur before this man interrupts Jesus' teaching. Because, you know, sometimes interruptions can seem like interruptions, or sometimes they can be teachable moments. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime... 
when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. This is a plea from Jesus that we would live our lives in the light of eternity. And he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom you fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are more of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied by, before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when, you bring, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in, every, in that very hour what you ought to say. This is where, this is the, the preceding context. And it's all about what? It's all about fearing God. It's all about trusting in God. It's all about putting our hope in God. And it's all about living our lives in the light of eternity, unashamedly and selflessly. But how do we do that? How do we live selflessly? How do we lay up treasures in heaven? How can we be rich toward God? Well, Paul talked to Timothy about it. And Jesus talked to us about it in this passage as well. We lay up treasures in heaven by giving. There's two things that, that I would like for you to consider doing in, in applying some of this to our lives today. Uh, one, I, you know, I would say it's never been easier to do a word, a word study in Scripture. And if you're online uh, you, and you go to, uh, there's a site you should be using. Uh, it's called Bible Gateway. BibleGateway.com. If you go to BibleGateway.com and you, there's a search bar, and I would encourage you to type the word give into that search bar. And it will show you all the places in Scripture where the word give is used. Now, you won't be able to read them all because there's thousands of them. But look through and pick out some of the pertinent things that, that God says about giving. Check some of the ones in Proverbs. And certainly, uh, you know, don't, don't miss out on the, some of these New Testament statements here. Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Whew, uh, just such powerful uh, scriptures on giving. But another thing that you, if, you, if you're interested in knowing more about giving in context of of the life of a Christian, um, you know, uh, what is it, what's tithing all about and, and should I, is that something I should be doing or, you know, where, how do I give, where do I give? So, you know, some of those, those questions. We, we have a, a, a publication that we prepared and we're going to post the link to that in the comments section, I believe, this morning uh, that you can click on that link. Uh, do we have that link posted? Yes, we have it. Check it out there if you haven't already. And uh, it's a little bit of reading, but if, you're, if you want more, if you want to understand more about what the Bible says about you, 
your money and your church, because that's what the, the publication is called. And we put that together, and I would encourage you to check that out. But So, we're going to stop there, but listen to this. Somebody said this. Uh, it, it's so simple. It's quaint. It's ancient. It's short, but I think it says a lot. Somebody said this. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what, by what we give. I hope that if God hasn't taught you already, you will learn the amazing joy of what it is to live a life of giving. And that God would use you and you would be blessed beyond measure by these powerful truths that couldn't be more relevant to our lives. Not just today, but for all eternity. In a moment, we're going to sing together. But before we do, will you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to share about these things this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12 and, and Paul's words to Timothy. And, and for all of the, the many, many times in scripture where you teach us about what life really does consist of. And what really is of supreme and ultimate and eternal value. Help us, Lord. We need your help with this because we struggle with this area. And it's such a, an indicator to us of how pathetic our hearts can sometimes be and how self-centered and how short-sighted we can be in our lives. Teach us the joys of giving, Lord. I pray for your people today. I know that people who don't know you can't understand they don't know the grace of God that's in Jesus Christ our Lord. They don't know how blessed they are. But we know. Lord, help us to know better. Help us to do better. Help us, Lord, to be careful how we acquire money, how we feel about it, and what we do with it. For our good and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.